Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your co-hosts, Rob Clark. Our other co-host, as always, Ed Katz is on the other line. Ed, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing wonderful, Rob. Had a great, great uh, weekend and I hope you did too. Um, well, I'm ready to do another episode with you, Ed. These have been fun and I'm ready to jump into another topic and kind of get into your knowledge and uh, share that with everybody who listens to our podcast. I'm looking forward to it. So this episode, for everybody listening, is episode number four, and it's going to be the risk of following the followers. And kind of the idea here is that, you know, we know customers perceive that you and your, your if you and your uh, competitors offer the same commodity or service or product, then typically the, the main differentiator would be price, right? And, and that's going to be it. But successful business owners, Ed, we know, uh, know that competing on price alone is a loser's game. So when you follow the followers, you're really just, uh, and you're copying their selling strategy and you're doing things as they are, you're really just reinforcing those, those negative stereotypes, aren't you? I agree, 100%. So, Ed, let me ask you, how does, do you and your processes differentiate yourself and your processes from your competition? And I digress for a second before I answer that question. I have spoken to literally hundreds and hundreds of O&I salespeople over the years. And typically at their moving companies, if a prospect called them for an estimate, either the salesperson or the customer service person would simply make the appointment many, many, many times, not tell the prospect how much time to reserve for the meeting they would go to the prospect's office, meet and greet the prospect in his or her office in the reception room, be ushered into the prospect's office. Prospect would sit down behind his or her desk. May I just say his and we won't crucify me for being politically insensitive? I think it's fine. Thank you. And um, the salesperson would look around the office and try to have a dialogue with his prospect. And if he saw golf memorabilia or a football trophy or a bowling trophy or something, he would break the ice by talking about trivia or about the weather, about the football game or about the basketball game. And so for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, there's a dialogue between the O&I salesperson and the prospect. And finally, at the done of at the time when they finally finished having their conversation, the salesperson would take out his legal pad. I don't know why movers love to carry legal pads, look up at the prospect and say, do you have any special concerns? And if the prospect said no, then the salesperson would typically say, well, are you concerned about your computers? Anyhow, at that point, the salesperson would say, um, I now need to take an inventory of your furniture, electronics, and contents. And so the contact follows side by side with the salesperson. They walk around the office while the salesperson takes his inventory. And it would be fine if that was the drill that only one salesperson used. But can you imagine a prospect going through that drill 
two, three, four, five times if he's getting five bids from five different movers. To me, it's, it reinforces the fact that we're selling a generic commodity, that all movers are the same. And of course, the mover, the salesperson wants to hand the prospect a brochure, a high gloss, slick brochure that shows a picture of their truck on the front and their logo and uh, maybe some moving equipment. And that's what he hands them. And then he leaves. And then probably three, four, five days later, the salesperson emails him the estimate. And of course, the prospect goes to one page, which is the last page where there's the price. And that's typically what I have found the industry does. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes, I think that's what a lot of our competition does. Absolutely. So you asked me, how do we differentiate ourselves? From the moment we spoke to the prospect, we sent out bullets, bullets meaning differentiators that showed that we were not like the competition. And what we would say was, I would love to come out and give you a price, give you a survey. And here's how we work. Did you hear what I just said? Here's how we work. What I was really saying was, we are controlling you. You don't control us. And so here's how we work. For my first visit, I will only need 15 minutes of your time. Wow, what a differentiator. Because if he's already gotten other estimates, he knows that after the salesperson visited with him and sat in his office to shoot the breeze for 15, 20, 25 minutes, and then walked around and took the inventory, he was there well over an hour. And here I'm saying for my first visit, we'll only need 15 minutes of your time. And then for our second visit, when I come back and give you the price, which of course that's what he wants, I'll only need another 45 minutes. So altogether, I'll need an hour, but we're going to have two visits instead of one. And by the way, can I have your permission to swing by the destination to check out the logistics so that I can ask you intelligent questions about where you're moving, when we can move you, day, night, weekend? Is that okay? 100% of the time, the prospect said, sure. Now, you're swinging by the destination location when? Prior to your first meeting or in between the first and second meeting? Prior to the first meeting, because I want to see, is it a step move? If it is, when I take my inventory, it's going to be a total pack. Everything, right. including vertical file cabinets, are going to be emptied and packed. Everything's going to be empty. If it's a, an elevator-type building or a single story, we can move the vertical file cabinets loaded right side up. That's a big sure, bit of can, information we need to know on the front end. And you can use crates instead and of boxes. we're the only mover that said, may I have your permission to swing by the destination, to check out the logistics, so that when we get together, I can ask you intelligent questions. No other mover said that. And no other mover that I talked to said, I need an hour of your time, or I need an hour and a half of your time. So that was our main differentiator then. Okay, Ed, so here's a question for you. What's your metaphor that compares the industry's traditional approach that you just described to buy bolts? Well, when all movers sound the same, the only differentiator, as you said, 
was lowest price. Imagine if I were a manufacturer of bolts and my bolts were exactly like the, comp the competition's bolts. Same size, same diameter, same amount of steel, same thread, same everything, same delivery time. The only differentiator I would have would be price. So a prospective buyer is going to make their purchasing decision based upon, well, if they're all the same, they're going to buy the lowest price. And it seems to me that most moving company salespeople go out of their way to convey to the prospect, we are all the same. Our supervisors are the best. We move so-and-so. Here's a fancy brochure that, oh, by the way, looks like our competitor's brochure. When they visit with the prospect, same meet and greet, go into the office, sit down, shoot the breeze, then take the inventory and we'll email you the price. To me, that's like selling nuts and bolts. There are no differentiators. Did you ever hear the um, prospects say, I'm going to solicit bids from the three best movers in our market? Well, that's because these three really have become generic commodities. And we tried to break that and, we'll, and walk and march to a different beat. And I, I love the approach of going back that second time and presenting the quote face-to-face -to, -face to the client, to the prospect, because, you know, if there's any objection to anything or any issues that need to be addressed and discussed and, and you know, objections overcome, you have that opportunity to do it right there with the client and make clear exactly how you got to that you know, whether it be that level of service or the time that it takes or the manpower that's in, included in your proposal, uh, all those things can be addressed right there versus just them looking at two different quotes paper to paper and then just looking at the cost and, and just picking one based on that. It, it just shows more, I think, more value to what you're offering the client. Agreed, 100%. So let me ask you this, Ed. How do you break the mold and differentiate yourself from the industry, industry's traditional approach? So just to recap, on the front end, we got the prospect to agree 15 minutes for the first appointment, 45 minutes for the second. So now we meet and greet the prospect in his reception room. I can tell if he's had other estimates because if he starts ushering me down the hall into his office, then I know, ah, the other movers have already been here because that's where they camped out. That's where they sat down and had their dialogue. As he's trying to usher me down the hall into his office, I would interrupt the prospect and say, excuse me, could we possibly take a quick tour of your office so I can get a feel for what your move is all about? And he would say, sure. So now I'm not following him. I'm pretending I have 10 more estimates to do that day. And I don't have time to dilly-dally. I don't have time to saunter around his office. I'm walking at warp speed, and I'm looking for pieces of furniture or electronic equipment where I can create a dialogue with the prospect. I'm not talking about a football game. I'm not talking about golf memorabilia. I'm not talking about the pictures in his office or the weather. I'm leading him around his office, and let's pretend the first thing I Come, upon, uh, come across would be, let's just say, a supply room. And I see in the supply room 
is a copier. My first question in a dialogue manner is, do you own or lease the copier? Oh, now we have a dialogue. He's got to respond. And he says, uh, we own it. So I then make a note and I say to him, you're going to have to have your um, copier company come in before the move and have it serviced so we can move it safely. Next office I go into, I see there are plants, household plants everywhere. So I say to the prospect, in order to save money, most of our clients have their employees move their plants themselves. Is that how, would you like to save money and have your employees move your plants yourselves too? We don't want to move plants. And if he presses me on it, I'll say, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. Not just my moving company, but all moving companies kill plants. And what I mean by that is this. When it's 85, 90 degrees outside, it could be 110, 120 in the truck. Or when it's 30 degrees outside, it could be below zero in the truck with a wind chill factor. Plants don't like that. They die. And you're employees are probably emotionally involved at least some of them are with the plants so we shouldn't be moving plants in the first place there's no insurance for plants and to lower the cost of the move as i said earlier most of our clients have their employees move their plants themselves so do you want to have your employees move them and they say yes because i don't want to move plants sure then we walk into another office and i see that um another employee of theirs has pictures and paintings all over the wall. And again, I say to the prospect, we'll be more than happy to move any company-owned paintings and pictures, but your personal pictures and paintings and bric-a-brac, again, to save money, and there's no insurance for that because they're not owned by the company. Our clients always have their employees move their personal paintings and pictures themselves. So is that also a yes on your part? And he says, yes. So what's happening? We're having a dialogue. Then we get into the conference room and I take out my tape measure because I want to measure the, t the, the dimensions of the table. I want to make sure it's going to fit into the elevator at his new location. And I ask him to help me measure the conference room table. He holds one end of the tape measure. I hold the other. I write down the, the dimensions. No other salesperson did that. I then crawl Underneath the table, I want to see how the top is fastened to the base. Maybe they need square-headed screwdrivers because it was manufactured in Canada. And he sees that I'm crawling under the table. It's a great differentiator. I'm trying to send a subliminal, subliminal message to the prospect. We're not more expensive. We're just more thorough and accurate. We have factored everything down to the smallest detail into account so that the price and estimate I give you is an honest reflection and what the move is all about. So here we are walking around the office and I see lamps, personal lamps. And again, I say to the prospect, if you have any company-owned uh, company lamps, we'll be more than happy to move them for you. But the personal lamps, movers are not responsible for anything that's not owned by the company. And your employees can save you a lot of money, the cost of the move, lower the cost of the move by having your employees move their personal lamps and belongings themselves. Now, Ed, so, some people listening might be thinking, well, there's no way Ed's doing all this and only spending 15 minutes with, with the prospect. 
we want to be clear here that uh, you're not actually taking the inventory, detailed inventory at this point. You're just highlighting some of the areas. You're moving quickly as you go through this space. Well said. I'm moving at warp speed. Like I have 10 more estimates that, to do after this one, and I am not walking slowly around the office. I'm darting and where I see this guy's jogging where I see the plants, where I see paintings. I have this dialogue. So now in about eight minutes, I've walked the floor with the prospect. And at this point, now that I looked at everything that's moving, I say to him, look, today is, let's just pretend today's Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. And based upon what I've seen, I can come back and give you the proposal and the price Friday morning, 11 o'clock in the morning. How does that sound? Now in our electronic age, what do you think he's going to say? Just email it to me. Yeah, just email it to me. And then I would say, I would like to, but... Our company policy is we can't give a price to a client without first walking them through what we're all about. You know, I told you I needed 15 minutes now. Really, I only needed, I think I took seven or eight minutes of your time. And I do need to come back. I could come back Friday morning if that'll work for you or another time and spend another 45 minutes so I can show you the benefits of using our service. Now, in the real world, if he's a genuine prospect, if he already hasn't selected another mover and he needed three bids so he could satisfy his corporate office, he's going to say, sure, come back. Because I'm just asking for an hour. That's reasonable. If he has already chosen another mover and doesn't want to waste any more time with me, he's going to say, no, I'm too busy. You can't come back. But that happened very, very suddenly. And if he did say that, guess what we did next, Rob? What did you do? I take my hand out to shake his hand. I look at him in the eyes and I say, I'm so sorry. We don't qualify to bid on your job. And I got the hell out of there. I was not in the estimating business. If he couldn't give me the courtesy of investing one hour of his time with me, I didn't want to give him an estimate. And I didn't insult him. I didn't offend him. That was our policy. And we treated everybody the same. How do you feel about that? I like that approach. It saves you a lot of time. So let's say it's a go. And he says, okay, I'm not available Friday morning, but you can come back Friday afternoon at one o'clock. And I said, great, I'll come back at one o'clock on Friday. In the meantime, I would then say to him, most of our clients at this point just turn me loose because I'm going to spend a lot of time now taking a very accurate, thorough, detailed inventory of everything you own. So I'll just go around the office, take my inventory. And if you have any questions, just let me know. Now, every once in a while, we might be in a high security type environment. Like we did all the moves for the Hellfire Missile Division of Rockwell International. Eddie Katz, the mover, was not going to be walking around the halls of Rockwell International by himself. So but I still wanted to get rid of the contact. I didn't want to have him pressuring me while I'm taking the inventory. So I would say to him, what you might want to do is go back to your office and give me somebody from your mail room, right? Yep. Entry level employee to shadow me around to make sure I don't go somewhere unescorted without your blessing. But that happened very, very suddenly. Most of the time, our Prospects were delighted not to have to shadow me while I'm taking my inventory. And then I would take my inventory. 
I do the same thing and I would just, you know, be polite and say, I'll check in with you when I'm leaving and just say, you know, I'm done. Thank you for the opportunity. I'll see you on Friday. And a lot of times I would do, I would go into a break room or a conference room. Let's say I took my inventory and I had time between my next estimate and where I was at that time. So I might start working on something else, maybe adding up his inventory and doing, doing the, the actual grunt work of coming up with number of men, number of trucks for how long I might do it in his break room. And then an hour and a half later, not that it took me an hour and a half to take the inventory, but an hour and a half later, after I did other work, I always swing by his office and say something like, wow, you sure had a lot of furniture and contents and electronics for me to inventory, but I got it all. There you go. And I'd say, you know, see you Friday at one o'clock. Okay. So Ed, Friday's here. I've got to assume, and I've got a pretty good feeling that your sales presentation uh, doesn't follow the followers either, that uh, it's a little different. So tell us what's that, what that's like. So when I go back, I say to him, um, see, I don't want to go into his office. In his office are way too many distractions. He's got his computer there. He's got a telephone there. Anybody that needs a favor from him or a request, they know where he is. I want to get him out of his office. And I also don't want to sit opposite him. You know, think about something, Rob. When we play chess or checkers or cards, we usually face our opponent. It's almost like it's an adversarial relationship when you face somebody. And I don't want to be facing him. I want to partner with him. So I would say when I'm coming back, is there a place where maybe in a conference room I can spread out and I have a lot of pictures I'd like to show you? So that gave us a reason not to go to his office when I'm going to make my sales presentation, but instead go to the conference room. Do you see how everything that we're doing is laced with differentiators? The industry is emailing them, emailing the prospect the price. We're not. We're going to have an audience with him. I didn't give him any brochures. In fact, we didn't have brochures to give out. Nobody buys based upon what's written in a brochure that, you know, quality of excellence, you know, those are words that big companies used to cover up their poor service, quality of excellence. I mean, give me a break. But anyhow, we had no brochures. And again, because everybody's brochure booked the same, what are you going to say that's different? But we don't make purchasing decisions based upon brochures. So that aside, we then we go back, We meet in his conference room. He's sitting next to me. Now, this is where everybody's going to disagree with what I'm about to say. In this modern day and age, you would say, well, we're going to show him a PowerPoint presentation on my laptop. But I know by doing that, I'm going to lose him mentally. He may be looking at the pictures on the laptop, but he's not paying attention. Like, how long is this going to take to show pictures? I want to capture him mentally and physically. So we did not use our laptop. We instead had a picture book made, eight by 10 pictures. And we had them in a scrapbook with no text. Well, we did have text. On one page on the left, we we put the word others in red font, others, showing it how the industry would do the move. And then on the right side of the page, in green, like green light, like go, We'd have in saying, my moving company, Peachtree Movers. 
So on the left, we show the bad guys. On the right, we show the good guys. In red font, the bad guys. In green font, the good guys. And it's in a laminated picture book. And when we open up the book to show them the pictures of how we're going to do the move, there's a glare because we purposely had the pictures laminated. And I say to my, to my prospect, look, if I hold the book, you're not going to be able to see the pictures because there's a glare in here. How about if you hold the book and I'll tell you when to turn the pages. Now you can see the pictures. I, at that moment, have captured him both mentally and physically. He's got to pay attention so he knows when to turn the pages. Yep, absolutely. And then I go through our sales presentation, which has about 12 pictures, six of the bad guys, six of us. Left side of the page, the bad guys. Right side of the page, how we would do it for showing extensive building protection, how we're going to move lateral file cabinets, how we're going to move everything in crates, Computers. not moving cartons. I mean, compare yep. each page. And that's how we made our sales presentation. So what I said, I needed 45 minutes. It took about six minutes to go through the picture book. That's all. And then I would finally take out the written estimate, which I never read, never read it to him. And I'd show him the cover letter and I'd say, you don't have to read the cover letter because it tells you how wonderful it was meeting you today. And that's what cover letters say, right? Yep. Then I'd go and show him line by line what they're responsible for, what I call scope of services, and what we, the movers, are going to be responsible for. I didn't read it. I just pointed to the text on the estimate and I'd say, Here's what you're responsible for. Here's what we're responsible for. Here's the estimated time. Here's the hourly cost. Here's the price. And I'd go through the different phases of the move. And then I would get to the material section. And then I point to the material saying, this is what we estimate you'll need in material. And here's the last page. Here's the summary. That took another three minutes to go through maybe a 10 page estimate. And then I'd say to him, if it's okay with you, Mr. Prospect, I'm not going to give you any references. And you could hear a pin drop when I said that. Because what do you think the industry always does? They, they give references, references yeah. right? I said, I'm not going to give you references. Is that okay? And they would look at me and they say, well, um, the other movers did. And I said, let me tell you why I'm not going to give you any references. References, reference, references, I hope I'm saying the word correctly. <laughs> references are not worth the paper they're written on. And I can prove it to you. I don't know how old you are, but back when I was younger, when we applied for a job on the back of every employment application were two lines, list two character references. Well, you'll never see that anymore because it dawned on somebody one day that, wait a second, if Rob Clark is applying for a job and he's going to put down two character references, he's not going to put down the name of somebody who's going to say, oh, yeah, I know Rob Clark. He's a great guy. He has only one character flaw, and that is he steals. But other than that, he's a great guy. Who in their right mind is going to put down the name of somebody who's going to badmouth him? So that's why you don't see a request for anyone who's applying for a job to list character references anymore. It's the same thing with mover references. What mover in his right mind is going to put down the name of a customer 
who they moved, who's going to badmouth them. They're only going to write down the names, give them the names of somebody who's going to say how wonderful they were. Again, worthless information. So then I would say to the prospect, so instead of giving you a list that I could selectively pick and choose references, we instead are going to give you a list of the very last five companies whose offices we moved with contacts and phone numbers. And we invite you to call them. And don't trust me. Ask them, when did we do the move? Ask them, did we minimize the risk of damage to the furniture and their electronics and the buildings they were moving from and to? And did we finish the job on time for the price quoted? See, we feel by giving you a list of the last five companies we moved as opposed to a list that I could generate and create and selectively pick and choose and make us look great is a better way for you to objectively objectively evaluate the service providers. And all I ask you to do, Mr. Prospect, is when you get proposals and estimates from our competition, I invite you to call their references and ask them, when did the move occur? And if the move was not in the last week or two, then if I were you, I'd be very suspicious as to how that list was created and generated. So you see all the differentiators we used from the moment we called them and made the appointment to when we went, we went back and partnered with them and sat next to them and showed the picture book and didn't give references and didn't read the estimate. Big difference. And that's why our closing ratio was through the roof because we differentiated ourselves in the marketplace. Well, Ed, this has been a great episode, and I think it gives a lot of information to the listeners about, you know, the, the true risk in following the followers and only trying to use price to get business. You agree? I agree. I agree. So you, you have a, a little saying, and I, I'm just going to kind of repeat it here. If you follow the herd, you may end up going over the cliff with them by being forced to sell only on price. And so the, Amen, brother. Yeah, the, the rule or the, the message here is don't let price, you know, dictate the business that you get. I and think. don't follow the followers. Don't Just because the big followers. boys do it a certain way doesn't mean you want to imitate them. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Ed, thanks so much for doing this episode. Uh, we look forward to uh, the next one and thank everybody for listening to this episode. We look forward to having you back for our next episode. And until then, go sell another move. <laughs>